0: He grew up in a poor family in Scotland. He and his four siblings and his two parents lived in a two-bedroom home. They didn't have much. When he was old enough, he was sent to work in the factory, working from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. and coming home to finish his studies after he ate. And he would often study till midnight when his mom came and turned the lights off on him to wake up again to be at work from 6 to 6 He worked hard, he studied hard, and eventually he became a doctor. His plan was to go to China as a medical missionary, to support himself with his own funds, with his own money. But when China didn't work out, he decided to go to a different place. He decided to go to Africa. He had heard a missionary earlier speak these words to him that he couldn't get out of his head. These were the words that were rumbling through his head over and over again. Many a morning have I stood on the porch of my house and looking northward have seen the smoke arise from villages that have never heard of Jesus Christ. I have seen at different times the smoke of a thousand villages, villages whose people are without Christ, without God, and without hope in the world. No matter how hard he tried, he couldn't get these words out of his head. And so he made it his goal to go to Africa and to open it up. To go where no white man had gone before to make maps and charts so people could come to these thousands of villages and explain what Christ had come to do for them. So missionaries could return to these unreached villages. In 1865, he left on a two-year expedition to find and chart the source of the Nile. And it seemed as though he had disappeared. The Western world had heard nothing of this man, nothing from this man. Where did he go? Did he find the source of the Nile? Did he fall in the source of the Nile? Was he alive or was he dead? Nobody knew. And so a journalist was sent to go and retrace his steps to follow him into Africa. So in 1871, Henry Stanley went to go look for him. And after searching for nearly eight months through the jungles, through the desert, through the warmth, through the heat, he finally stumbled upon a village and saw a peculiar sight. He saw a scrawny scraggly old white man. Something you don't normally see in the middle of Africa. And so using his best observational skills as a journalist, Henry Stanley approaches the man, reached out his hand and said those four famous words. Dr. Livingston, I presume. If anyone's heard that story or heard those four words, that's where it comes from. Dr. Livingston had gone to Africa as a missionary to open it up so that more people could come and tell these villages about Christ who no one had heard. And Henry Stanley had been sent to look for this living stone, to look for this certain living stone. This morning, we're going to look for a living stone ourselves in Scripture. And as we look for this living stone, as we find this living stone, as we come to this living stone, we'll find out that he changes us. And we'll find out that this living stone has called us do something. So let's look this morning at this living stone. Let's look for this living stone in 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 4 through 10. And I invite you to stand out of respect for God's word. 1 Peter chapter 2 beginning at verse 4. And reading in Jesus' name. And coming to him as to a living stone which had been rejected by men but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, for this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Father God, these are your words. Your word is truth. And Lord, as we open up our hearts to you this morning, help us to receive your word in truth, to receive it in faith. Lord, help our hearts to open up to you this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak through your word and that you work through your word as well. And be with us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Looking for Christ, the living stone. If you're going to go searching for something, it helps to know what you're looking for, right? If I were to tell you, bring me back a living stone, where would you start to go looking for it? You can start with the, gra- the garage. You can start with the gravel out there. There's a lot of stones. And maybe you'll walk across one and say, ouch, that's my face. Get off of me. But probably not. Has anyone here ever seen a living stone before or ever heard of a talking stone? It doesn't exist, right? If you were to ever say that you found a living stone, people would start to think, you're crazy, that you've lost it. But this morning, we're going to be looking for a living stone. And this morning, we're not without clues, but we're told where to look. Peter gives us us identities, ways to identify this living stone. He points us in the right direction. In verse 4, he tells us that it's the one that's been rejected by men. It's the one that's been chosen by God and is precious in his sight. And Peter continues to go on and to give us clues as to what to look for. He quotes from the Old Testament. He says, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone. And he who believes in him will not be disappointed. He's laying a precious cornerstone. So we find out the stone we're looking for is precious in God's sight. The stone we're looking for has been chosen by God for this reason. This stone that we're looking for is, in fact, the cornerstone. So as we look at this cornerstone, we'll continue to look and find out to identify who this is. Peter quotes from two more passages. He says, The stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone. A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. This living stone here that we're looking for is, in fact, a cornerstone. It's not just a cornerstone. It is the cornerstone. There is no other cornerstone. But the sad truth is, as we look in the Scripture and what it says, it says this is the cornerstone which the builders rejected. It's chosen and precious in God's sight. It's good enough for God. It's who God chose to be the cornerstone, but the builders rejected it. And that word, rejected, isn't just turned a blind eye to it the image is given that this rock this cornerstone has been brought to the building site and the builders looked it over checked it out to make sure it was a good cornerstone if you have a good cornerstone you have a good building if you'd have not a good cornerstone you won't have a building for very long and so the builders are looking over and after looking it over they say "Nah, we don't want that one not him to their own shame to their own condemnation because as the text says, even though this cornerstone has been rejected, this cornerstone is still the cornerstone. But as they reject this cornerstone, this living stone becomes something else as well. It becomes to those who reject him a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. As we hear these words, we might think of walking along a path one day and tripping over a rock. Maybe you fall, maybe you skin your knee, maybe you get a little hurt, you need a band-aid. But that's not what the word means here in the text. One commentator gives a graphic detail, a graphic description of what this means. He says this, The stone is not one against which they strike merely a foot and are thrown down to rise up more or less hurt but one against which they strike with the entire body in a dreadful crash, which knocks out their brains. Needless to say, this is fatal. No one's going to survive this rock of offense, this stone of stumbling. You stumble to your own demise. So as we search for this living stone, we have to be careful to find the living stone. And when we find it, We have to recognize that this living stone is the living stone. And so the question comes to us this morning who is this living stone? Who could it be? Who could be this cornerstone? Who else could it be other than Christ? That Christ is the cornerstone that the builders rejected. And when Christ came to this man, as we looked in the children's message, he came as a baby, he came as a man, he came humbly with limitations just like you and I have limitations, even though he was still God. And when the Jewish leaders wanted to come to Christ and say, are you the one to let us free from Roman rule? Are you the one to establish the kingdom here on this earth? Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. And the builders rejected the cornerstone. The builders said, I don't want that. I want an earthly ruler here today. But Jesus came for more than temporary deliverance. Jesus came for eternal salvation. He came to save them from an oppression so much worse than the Roman oppression. He came to save them from their sins, to die on the cross for their sins, to rise again, to give them eternal life. Yet they would not have it, and so they rejected him. The text says they stumbled because they rejected him, and they disobeyed his word It's a natural consequence for anyone and for everyone who rejects Christ, who rejects this living stone, this cornerstone. It's a fatal slip. It's a fatal crash. It's one with irreversible and eternal consequences. If you reject the cornerstone, he remains the cornerstone, but he also becomes a rock of offense and a stone of stumbling upon which you will not survive or prevail. But this living stone didn't come to be a rock of offense. He came to be the cornerstone, the one chosen by God, the one precious in His sight. Christ came to be the living stone that gives life to us. This is His proper work. This is His desire. This is why Christ came, so He would save His people from their sins. In the previous chapter, in verse twenty-three of First Peter chapter one, Peter writes this. He says, "For you have been born not with a seed which is perishable but imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. Peter says here as he's writing to his audience, as he's writing to believers, he says, you have been born again. You have been given new life through the word of Christ, through Christ and what he has done. And this is what the living stone has come to do. So as we're searching for this living stone, accept him, receive him. And as we come upon this living stone, He changes us. He has come to make us into living stones. The living stone changes us. When we come to the living stone, he changes us. In verse 9, Peter writes in detail about who we are in Christ. He says that as we have accepted, Jesus as our cornerstone. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. We didn't get here because one day we decided that Christ was a good idea. We didn't get here because one day we were wandering in the woods and we said, oh, look, that's a nice stone. This is going to be my cornerstone. We didn't get here because somehow we stumbled upon this rock by chance. But the reality is he has called us to himself. He came to find us, and he's called us out of darkness. And he saw us in our helpless estate. He saw us in our own depravity, in our own sin-soaked lives. And he has called us out to be different. He's called us out as we were lifeless stones to be given new life in him. He brought the light needed for us to see our sinful ways. But so much more than just to see how bad off we are, he came to transfer us, to pick us up from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light to give us life, to call us to himself through his own words, through his own work, and through his word. Peter reminds us that before we were these great things, this royal priesthood, this chosen race, holy nation, a people for God's own possession, he puts us in our place and reminds us who we were. He says you were nobodies. At once, you were not a people. No one claimed possession to you. No one owned you. No one wanted you. You were a nobody, is what Peter is saying here. He's saying, you didn't receive mercy either. We were left to ourselves in our own darkness, and there was no other God that could come and bring us out of this. No matter how many times we tried to turn on the light switch, there's no electricity. It's not coming. No matter how many times we tried to do CPR on ourselves, You're lifeless, you can't even do CPR. We're in darkness, without hope, without mercy, without a chance. But God called us out of darkness and has brought us into the light. He has made us alive and he has made us new creations according to his word. And he says that as we come to him in verse 4, coming to him as to a living stone, In verse 5, you also as living stones. He makes us alive. He makes us into living stones as well. And he tells us as living stones what he is doing in us and through us and with us. He says we're being built up into a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. In Christ, not only are we given life, not only are we delivered out of darkness into the light, but in Christ, we are being built up into a spiritual house one in which God dwells with his people. And it's spiritual house there. It's not plural. It's not a bunch of many houses. It's one house built upon the foundation, the cornerstone built upon Christ, being held together with Christ, uniting all believers of all time, of all places, in every tribe, tongue, and nation, coming together into one spiritual house where God dwells. This is what God is doing with those who he makes alive through his word. This is what we are. And this structure, structure, even though we might not be able to see it with our naked eye, it's as real as Christ is real. And one day this structure, this holy house in which God dwells, will be revealed in all of her glory, in all of her purity, in all of her magnificence. And we will acknowledge that this is reality. And in the meantime, Christ is still bringing more stones to life. In the meantime, Christ is still about the business of saving more stones, of building this house into a bigger house, to building up this house into the perfect house in which he dwells. And as he changes us, he's called us to work for him. In verse 5 it says this, that he's making us into this spiritual house for a purpose, this purpose to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He's made us living stones not just to be flies on the wall, not just to be pictures in his hall of fame, but he's made us to be living stones in order to offer spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. As we offer up spiritual sacrifices, we ask the question, what do these sacrifices look like? What do these spiritual sacrifices look like? And God answers that question for us in the text. He says it's proclaiming the excellencies of Christ. And as we proclaim His excellencies, He is sending us out. He is using our words, He's using His word, His excellencies, His work to look out for more living stones. He has called us to seek out more living stones. A living stone has made us alive to seek out more living stones. Which brings a question, how do you tell a living stone from a dead stone, if you don't even know what a living stone looks like? And the answer to that question, it's not our job to tell which stone is living and which stone is dead. But God has called us to proclaim His excellencies to any stone and every stone. Because the truth of the matter is, unless that stone is believing in Jesus Christ, it's a dead stone. And we don't get to decide who's worth our time and who's not worth our time. Or who's worth our sacrifice or who isn't worth our sacrifice? Because if we ask that question, let me ask you this question. Are you worth Christ's sacrifice? The answer to that question we know is, by no means am I worth his sacrifice. We don't get to pick and choose which stones are lifeless and which stones are dead and not worth our time. Christ has called us to proclaim his excellencies to all of those around us. This is why he has made us a chosen race, a royal priesthood. This is why he keeps this spiritual house here on this earth at this time for this purpose so that we can proclaim the excellencies of Christ amongst a lost and dying world. I say dying, but it's a dead world. And as we go out and search for more living stones, there's no guide to tell us what to look for. There's no no gadget that we can throw over our shoulders that'll tell us, oh, this one's gonna become a, a living stone if you give it more time. He has called us just to go and proclaim his excellencies wherever we are in this life. The instructions we've been given are to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. And as we proclaim his excellencies, as we proclaim what Christ has done for us, what Christ has done for others as well, coming to earth as a man, dying on the cross for our sins, not only our sins, my sins, your sins, but the sins of all of the other dead stones that are still out there. They can be forgiven in Christ. That is his excellency. That's his grace. That's his mercy. That's what he calls us to proclaim to others. And as we proclaim this message, somehow he works through his word. He works through his works and somehow Christ makes these dead stones come to life. He makes these dead stones, living stones that come to him. And he is continuing to build up this spiritual house in which He dwells. And as they come to him and as they receive him too, they're also given that same task that we've been given, to proclaim the excellencies of Christ, who has called them out of darkness, who has made them his people and who has shown mercy to them. It all seems so simple, doesn't it? Just go out there and proclaim the mercies of God. Go out there and proclaim the excellencies of what Christ has done for us and it is pretty simple but Peter also says it's a sacrifice a sacrifice in what way it's gonna take our time it's gonna take our energy it might even take our money it might even interrupt our schedules once in a while to proclaim the excellencies of Christ to a lost and dying world it's a sacrifice But this spiritual sacrifice is acceptable and pleasing to God through Jesus Christ. And it's a work that he has called us to do. He'll take our money, our talents, our skills, and our abilities. But all of these things that God has given to us, he has given these things to us not so we can just retire well, even though he might give that to us as well. But he has given us these blessings so that we can use them to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. There are more lifeless stones out there waiting to hear that there's more to life than what they're living. Waiting to hear the message that they too have a purpose in this life. Waiting to hear a message that you belong to someone. And waiting to hear a message that, yes, God's mercy even extends to you. It doesn't matter about your past. Christ came for you because of your past, because you are without hope, without mercy. God came to you. And this is the message, this is the excellency that we get to proclaim as Christians to a lost and dying world. May the Lord open our eyes to see out our own porches. As we look to see the smoke billowing from our neighbors' houses or different communities, wherever it is, may God open up our eyes to see that these are homes in which people are living. These are homes in which there may or may not be living stones or dead stones. These are stones to which, homes to which Christ has called us to proclaim the excellencies of him, to tell them there's a purpose for your life, to tell them you belong to someone God wants to be your God. He wants to make you his people. The truth is there are thousands of villages who haven't heard about Christ and don't know that there is mercy and grace in him, that don't know that there is a Savior who has come for them. But Christ has come, and he has called us to bring that message to others. And as we bring this message to others, it's pleasing to God in his sight. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Jesus, that you came to this earth, that you came as a baby, you came to be the cornerstone, precious and chosen in God's sight to save our, your people from their sins. You came to be sin for us on our behalf so that we could be the righteousness of God. You came to build us up into a spiritual household. You came to make us who are not a people a people to call us out of darkness into light, to make us alive, to give us a hope, to give us a purpose. God, as we look around us, open up our eyes to see that there are people who don't know about you. Give us hearts of compassion, Lord. Give us your heart, your tender heart to care for them. And Father, give us willing hearts as well to be interrupted, to proclaim the excellencies that you have done to make sacrifices on your behalf. But Jesus, we thank you and we praise you that you have came, you've come to save us. Help us to bring this message to a lost and dying world around us. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.